Howdy. Welcome to another episode of Canon Calls. I am your host, Jake McAtee. And this week, I interviewed Josh Dawes. You can find him at, at Josh Dawes. Josh is the host of the Great Awakening podcast. And last week, he wrote a thread on Twitter titled Confession I Used to Be an Evangelical Elite. It was a 25 tweet thread, and I greatly appreciated it. It was fun to watch it go beyond the scope of his general audience and be received into folks who did not appreciate the sentiments there. I had him on because I think he very accurately put his finger on sort of not just the status of an evangelical elite, someone we might say like, oh, that person's very famous, he's an evangelical elite. Uh, But more importantly, and what I wanted to draw attention to was the sensibilities of the evangelical elite. What are they like and how are they thinking? Those were things that I thought were super important and why I wanted to bring him on the podcast. Before we meet Josh, I wanted to point you to a brand new audiobook in Canon Plus, which I think is very relevant to the podcast today. It's called Plowing in Hope Toward a Biblical Theology of Culture by David Hegeman. If salvation is comprehensive, then Jesus is in the process of transforming each culture, not helicoptering believers out. What does that look like? So rather than the sort of cultural elitism that Josh will talk about today in terms of softening the edges in order to traffic with the cultural elites of the world, what does it look like to be faithful and present and living out a full biblical culture? You can find that at Canon Plus. Subscribe today at Canon Plus for a truckload of content, not only audio, but video as well. Without further ado, meet Josh Dawes. All right, now welcoming on special guest Josh Dawes. He is the host of the Great Awakening podcast, and I'm very grateful uh, for giving us your time, Josh. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me, Jake. All right. Now, last week, about the time that this podcast will come out, it'll be last week, you had a, a tweet thread that went, uh, that I saw go very far, and it, and it was titled, Confession, I Used to Be an Evangelical Elite. Can you tell us a little bit, maybe, about what made you do the thread? Yeah, um, you know, like anybody who's spent, you know, some time on uh, Christian Twitter or evangelical Twitter lately, there's, we're seeing that term a lot, evangelical elite. And, you know, I hate it when terms get robbed of their meaning because we see it so often. Sure. And so I just did a little thread to kind of humanize the impulses behind people that kind of share those elite sensibilities. And we can get into more of like sure. what it actually that means. But I just wanted to kind of share my journey of of really sympathizing and aligning with what, you know, I would consider evangelical elite and kind of what, where I saw that go off the rails in my own life and how I kind of see some of that happening, um, you know, out there from our evangelical leaders right now. Awesome. So before we kind of go into the particulars, do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself insofar as you, you want to? Sure. Yeah, um, I am just a layman, just guy in the pews that uh, is concerned about the local church and uh, several years ago started seeing some ideas and concepts make their way into the church um, through like social justice and other other avenues that just 
started making me really concerned. And um, I just felt like, uh, you know, I needed to kind of wave some red flags like, hey, hold up. I think this might be a bad idea. And um, yeah, I've just kind of been out there steady fighting this fight and gained a, a, a bit of a a tiny following on Twitter and people seem to resonate with what I say. So I, I mentioned to you before we started, I really appreciated the thread, even just as you kind of mentioned in, in the introduction there, uh, just for taxonomy purposes, I feel like uh, Twitter, a lot of people begrudge it for being a place that just opinions are flying and it's hard to sort of sort through. But I, I very greatly appreciated just describing those sensibilities and even just seeing it uh, throughout your own journey. It's things that I resonated with as well. And then uh, as we get into those after that, I'd love to get into some of the feedback. And then also it's been a week. So I'm curious to know if what you think after a week of, of dwelling on that or receiving replies or, or some of the feedback you've gotten. So as a start, can you just tell us what you think, what you've identified as sort of sensibilities of the evangelical elite and sort of how that played out in your own story? Sure. Yeah, so I think former Christianity Today editor Mark Galley, yeah, he he defined it, uh, and I think he might have been the one to come up with the term. Uh, it was either him or Carl Truman, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, he says it's a strong desire to appear respectable to the elite of American culture, and that described me to a T. I was, I grew up. My my dad was a Southern Baptist pastor for 50 years. And so I grew up in all of the purity culture and all of the, you know, true love weight stuff, the, the, you know, the rapture houses and, and all of the cheesy Bible belt Christianity stuff that, that our um, evangelical leaders so kind of embarrassed about today. Sure. Um, sure. Yeah. I was embarrassed about it. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> and uh, so it, when I got to college, um, I went to Georgia tech and I, immediately got plugged in with a large non-denominational megachurch in the Atlanta area. And I just, it was just like a revelation. It was like, oh my gosh, church can be cool. It can be fun. It can get rid of all that stuff that turns people off. You know, in my mind, it's like all, nobody wants to do the, you know, three verses and, you know, the invitation and all that stuff that is just kind of cringy. And um, church service was a rock you know, a rock show and it opened with secular numbers. And, you know, I was finally excited, like, oh yeah, I can invite my friends to church now because it's cool. Right. And, you know, just got really enmeshed in that, that seeker sensitive world. And, and for, for, I think for legitimately evangelical reasons, like I wanted to share, you know, the, the good news with, yep. with my friends who wouldn't come to church. So I, I think, uh, you know, that, Secret sensitive movement gets deservedly gets a lot of you know um, heat uh, uh, thrown at it, but I think that largely you know a lot of these churches are, are well motivated. They 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 want to share uh, the gospel in some fashion, and uh, yeah, I just went right in you know to that. I ended up working for that church for about a decade. Uh, my wife and I both worked there, and. Um, you know, we were all about that, you know, being culturally relevant, you know, finding ways to just soften the harder edges of scripture so that we could gain influence with um, the people we wanted to reach, which were that, you know, cultural elite of, of um, you know, American cultural elite. 
And um, that, you know, our journey took us out to um, Los Angeles, where we helped to start a church there. And we were very much about cultural engagement. I was a big fan of Tim Keller's and just his approach, uh, which is kind of a more intellectual seeker sensitive. Like it's still all about the uh, the seeker and trying to make sure Christianity palatable to uh, those people in those cultural centers. Totally. I mean, uh, I often think his uh, messages at like Google or those things often mm-hmm. you, you have tons of views, but he's invited to those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to, you have to kind of toe a certain line to get those invites. And, and, you know, I, uh, at the time I I thought this is great. Like he's getting all this influence and, you know, these, you know, I would really celebrate like actors who would, you know, be kind of, kind of Christians incognito and like they're in all these spaces and they're in these meetings and, you know, nobody in the outside world knows that they're Christian, but you know, they're gaining that influence and someday they're going to do that. And that's kind of what I aspired to. I wanted to be in the room where it happened, you know, sure, <laughs> with sure. The, the, the movers and the shakers and, you know, bringing the gospel. And over time, I just, you know, began to really develop an ugly attitude toward people that uh, were doing ministry in a different way and doing ministry in um, what I thought was kind of backwards or just really cheesy and corny. And, you know, I talk about in the thread, I would have, once we were out in LA, I would have cheesy Christian movie nights and we'd invite, you know, a mixed group of Christians and non-Christians and just kind of rip on these movies, you know, mystery science theater style, you know, thinking that we're showing these non-Christians that Christians can be cool. And we also don't like the, those Christians, you know, we're not like those Christians. We're self-aware. And, uh, Right. We're, we're, we're with it, you know, we're hip and, um, you know, just gradually develop this, this attitude that I'm doing the important ministry in the the city. And I know, yeah, I, I play lip service. Yeah. I know that, you know, God didn't call everyone out here, but those people back home need to realize that we're doing really important work and they should get them, you know, behind this and support it in some way. And, um, you know, it's spent, uh, just all this time, just kind of, I don't know, becoming arrogant in my ministry philosophy. And, uh, you know, that all really kind of changed, you know, God began to expose that, you know, about the time uh, Trump ran for office, you know, like so many things that, that was just, a, <laughs> that was just a bomb in, uh, in so many different arenas of life. And, um, you know, I just started to see all of this just hatred towards not just Trump, but Trump voters. And that was, the, those were my, you know, friends and family back home, like even the ones at the, at the, the cool church, you know, that was doing things different and, you know, all about cultural engagement. It's like, you know, when you're in a, a swing state, that's a much tougher decision. You know, someone like me who is in deep blue, you know, Georgia, so I can take the principled, you know, vote. Oh yes. Never Trump. You meant you know. deep blue California. Yeah. Sorry. Deep blue California. And it, it just started to, you know, I, I, I didn't want to join the, that, pylon that all of my non-Christian friends and honestly, a lot of Christian friends in uh, California were doing towards the, the Trump voters back home. And it was, it was just kind of eye-opening to see like, that's the, that's the attitude I've had towards those people. I just didn't express it in, in that way. And it, it just kind of started to reveal a lot of the yuckiness in my own heart. Sure. I, I'm curious too, in terms of, uh, so there's, there's clearly an arc there was an arc to your thread that 
you're also drawing attention to of your own personal holiness in regards to this that you had, you were sinning in your own heart. How do you see that sort of uh, sensibility? Why do you think it's coming out in 2016? Or why did you think it, it came out in 2016? It seems to me that there was like a very, there was a period of evangelicalism and in the world where you could really kind of skate by with that kind of attitude to some degree that 2016 sort of shook it out. And I, I imagine you, you would say it's kind of that divide continues and has continued yeah. all the way to 2022. What do you think the failures of it are that have been brought to light by 2016 and post? Yeah, I think, I think Aaron Renz, he's got a, he talks about a, what does he call it? Um, the neutral world. Yeah. We were living in a neutral world. You know, he, he's divided kind of the post-war era into a you know, positive world where the world was positive towards Christians. And then there's a neutral world where they were cool. If you're doing your thing, just leave us alone and it's fine. And then 2016, or really probably a little before that with, with some of the, the police shootings and the Black Lives Matter stuff, I think revealed it was, it was a shift into a negative world where the world actively, you know, dislikes Christians right. and, and seeks their harm. Right. And I think that's, that's really a brilliant framework and really describes what happened. And that's where it, it was really at that time where it was like, well, all this work that we've put into building influence, you know, to attaining cultural influence was for naught because these people are not making any distinction between like, you know, rabid early adopter Trump people that might be racist with the, you know, begrudging, holding your nose, you know, Christian that was voting for the lesser of two evils. You know, sure. there was no distinction in their mind whatsoever. Sure. You know, and, and that's, uh, you know, you see that when, you know, this number is thrown out 80% of white evangelicals. And it's like, whoa, 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 that's a huge range of opinions about Trump that you're lumping into one thing right. and characterizing it with the absolute worst. And so this, all of this, this, you know, almost 20 years of my life spent, you know, with this one ministry model, just kind of like evaporated all that influence just seemed to just go. And, you know, it, at that point, it was like, man, I, I, this isn't working. And I kind of threw my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ under the bus to gain something that was worthless. Right. And it just, that's when it was just, it was very much, I started doing a lot of introspection and, you know, honestly, uh, Tim Keller's counterfeit God's book about, you know, he explores the Augustinian idea that, you know, our hearts are idol factories that just really kind of wrecked me. And I like realized how much of an idol, like cultural influence had become to me, just wanting to, to get in that room to, you know, and I'd spiritualize it because I want to make a difference for, for God. And, and I want to take the gospel into these dark places, but it was a lot about, I wanted to be cool and I wanted to be, you know, make a name for myself. And, uh, you know, it was, it was just, um, I don't know, it was really eye-opening for me to kind of see. Okay, so you that. you put you put together a 25 tweet thread and you mentioned you were limited. Twitter will not allow you to do more than 25. And then you hit send. Can you tell me a little bit like how it went? What was the feedback and how did not only positive but critical? Is it what you expected? Yeah, I was you never know when you you do. Yeah, I've spent <laughs> a ton of time on threads before and you send it out and it's crickets and then you'll You'll do a little offhanded joke and it blows up. Sure. So this is 
this the response was a little surprising. It was very well received by the initial crowd that follows me. It was, I think it resonated with a lot of people. A lot of people were saying, man, that's my story. Right. And I think, and that's what I, that's what I wish a lot of the current evangelical elites would understand is that this is not coming from, you know, a lot of their criticism is not coming from a place of just like divisive or, you know, nitpicky anger. It's, it's coming from a place of a lot of, a lot of us have been there. We've seen this, those impulses in ourselves, And it's, it's just sad to see that that's still, I don't know how it's, how those, that desire for cultural influence is hurting the church and injecting division into churches. But yeah, so, so the early, the early um, response w- was positive and then it somehow got around to more progressive Christian accounts. And then it was a lot of uh, anger directed my way. I think it was effective and that made people angry. Sure. And, um, I, you know, some of the pushback was like, oh, well, this guy was just a, a weather vane. You know, he was one way in, in California. And now that he moved back to the South, he's, he's just, you know, a chameleon with whoever he's with. And that, that, that's one thing I'd like to correct. That is, that is not true. Going, I never toyed with being a leftist or anything. I was, if anything, moving to California made me more conservative. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was uh, you know, just seeing you know, the policies <laughs> working out. It's like, yep, that's a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, so I, I just, if I, if I could have done, added anything to the thread, and I did add some clarification in some responses, just that this was my story. I'm not saying that all evangelical elites um, struggle with this. I think some are probably able to, you know, check their motivations and are able to, you know, pursue cultural relevance with uh, cultural elites without, you know, throwing other Christians under the bus. I think, you know, guys like Kevin DeYoung, I would certainly consider him a evangelical elite. And I think he does a phenomenal job. So I'm not I'm certainly not, you know, painting with a wide brush, which is, which is honestly the one thing I'm trying to help evangelical. That's like my big critique with, with them that I, some of their, some of their critiques of the guys in the pews are fair as far as it applies, but it's when you do this broad brush that, that all white evangelicals are this way. That's just not fair. That's, that's, that's throwing your brothers and sisters in Christ under the bus in order to maintain your influence with your cultural elite buddies that are angry at white evangelicals in my reading of the situation. Sure. So insofar as the sensibilities, so one of the, I think one of the effective things about your tweet thread was you started it. The first tweet was just confession. I used to be an evangelical elite. And, you know, a lot of people probably clicked it just to think, you know, does he mean like, what was he hanging with like Russell Moore or, you know, who were you that you were an evangelical elite? But what I thought, you know, and then, and then the most effective thing is what you do is you just describe the sensibilities uh, of an elite, which in that second tweet, uh, you mentioned kind of as like an evangelistic approach, a middlewayism, basically that kind of strategy to engage with the cultural elite of sort of the world. You mentioned you've kind of repented of that sort of uh, insofar as it was a sin in your own heart. How would you, if you're not an evangelical elite now in your sensibilities, 
what would how would you describe yourself? Yeah, uh, I would say I'm, I'm a concerned a concerned guy in the pews. Yeah, I love the local church. Yeah, and that and that's so that's surprising to me because I I didn't used to. You know, I used to look at you know the local church. You know, in a lot of ways, you know, it's an obstacle to even. And um, moving back to Georgia, we uh, we got involved in a uh, reformed Southern Baptist church, which is the last place I ever thought I would be. My wife and I attended the first time and we're like, hard pass, <laughs> not doing it. Sure. And God just began to, through some relationships, just stir my heart. And it was kind of like, I think I want to go to that church and, um, you know, sit under expository preaching and, you know, just be in a local community that, you know, a body that is not all polished and hip and you know, has its rough edges. And it's just been such a delight to fall in love with the bride of Christ these last several years. And just think of like dear brothers and sisters that we've met at, at this church. And um, yeah, so I, I, that, that's, that's my, um, that's what animates me. That's why I, I, I get on Twitter is, you know, I, I see the ideas that were instrumental in leading friends and loved ones in California down the social justice path to deconstruction, you know, or progressive Christianity or some even further to deconstruction. And, you know, moving back to the South, it was like, you know what, maybe that was just a California thing, but you know, whatever happens in California eventually makes its way. So we started seeing, you know, a lot of these ideas, white privilege was talked about and, you know, there's different ideas coming into the church and, I just wanted to be able to help people see like, gosh, no, this is, this is bad. This is gonna, if these ideas are applied, they're gonna, it's gonna start to chip away at the faith, uh, especially of our younger generation that, you know, maybe not have as, as strong, you know, scriptural guardrails as some of the older generation does. So that's, that's, that's really why I, I do what I do and why I stay in this fight. Would you say that that's sort of the was the fundamental motivator for you starting the Great Awakening podcast? Yeah, it's as I was talking about these ideas, you know, and trying to explain critical theory to people. You know, I I discovered, you know, once I started, you know, seeing the connection between oh, these friends became interested in social justice, and then over time that led them to a you know, uh, down the path towards progressive Christianity or deconstruction, I would, you know, I began researching these like ideas, like where are they getting this, you know, white fragility and, you know, white privilege and just these different things they were talking, heteronormativity and all this stuff. And that's where I discovered critical theory, like way back before anybody was talking about it. You know, I doing, you know, Googling, trying to find other people who've written about it from like kind of an apologetic standpoint. You know, I found Neil Shinvey, I think, when he had like 70 followers. So I was really early into this conversation. Sure. But I would start, you know, sharing a lot of his stuff and his other resources came out. I'd be sharing that with people that I was in community with in church. You know, I would just see kind of their eyes glaze over, just not not getting it. I'd, you know, share, you know, Neil Shinvey's talks and they're like, I, I tried to listen to that, but and I just I wasn't following what he was saying. So I saw a need for a, a something for people in the pews that wasn't, you know, a three-hour in-depth conversation, you know, that, that bite-sized that would tackle one 
item at a time, you know, one idea at a time. And so I came up with the idea for the Great Awakening podcast just to help explain, you know, those things one little bit at a time. Episodes are like 10 minutes. The first one was on what does it mean to be woke and just talk about the history of that term, what it means, how it has been, how it's, how it's used in culture. And then that's it. You know, I give some links for additional research, but I found that that's really helpful to, you know, for people who are not, you know, on the internet all day, you know, soaking in this stuff, but have a little bit of time and they're curious, like, what is this? What's going on? Just to help them, you know, identify this stuff when it starts showing up, you know, in their favorite pastor or they see it in books or whatever. Totally. I want to recommend the podcast to folks. And you kind of mentioned earlier, I mean, do you, so in terms of uh, your Twitter platform, like what is, where do you, what are you up to? What are you working on? Are you doing anything else? Do you plan another 25 tweet thread? Uh, I'm always got, yeah, I've always got ideas rattling around up there. I think my biggest thing right now is I want to, I want to engage. I think uh, my friend William Wolf said it well. So I want, he said his Twitter thread is about engaging in the battle of ideas for the future of the church on behalf of the people in the pews. And I think that that really sums up what I'm about as well. You know, I want to, you know, I just want to defend, you know, the little guys that don't have a, a voice. And there's so much, uh, it's so easy for the evangelical elites to throw them under the bus you know, whatever their motivation is, they could, you know, the most charitable interpretation is that they legitimately think, you know, a big ch- section of the church is, you know, in sin and needs to be called out on Twitter on a daily basis. Okay. <laughs> I, I disagree. I think the church is is still God's people and we need to have a lot more grace towards each other and and offer a lot more. We need to rely a lot more on Romans 14. So many of the things that our evangelical elite kind of throw at the guys in the pews, whether it's COVID or, you know, the racial reconciliation stuff, whatever it is, these are disputable matters. They're not, you know, there's not a hard line in scripture. And we need to respect that, you know, just because someone believes that there's, you know, questions about the 2020 election does not mean they're a conspiracy theorist that needs to be called out in the, or saved from uh, the evangelicals, you know, need to be saved from them in the pages of the New York times. You know, we need to, we need to start, you know, showing each other a lot more grace. Josh, thanks so much for giving us your time, man. Anywhere else you want to point folks to your Twitter, your Twitter account is what exactly? Uh, It's just Josh Dawes, D-A-W-S. And uh, yeah, that's the best place to find me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Josh. Thanks, Jake.